What is going on, beautiful, remarkable human being? It is a privilege and honor to be with you once again. I am blasting you with all of my prayers, good vibes, and well wishes as we get into another phenomenal episode of the show. We've got Susan Stanfield on, and we are talking about health, freedom, and the tyranny in Canada. Uh, Susan is a badass. She has done a lot of stuff in her life. We explore uh, some of her, uh, what she's done and, and what she's doing now, and we cover a lot of great ground in this op- uh, episode, we talk about how she created the first march in Canada when she understood what was going on because of some of her past work and living in Africa. Uh, we talk about why law itself can be a weapon and why we need to focus on building the new system. We talk about mompreneurs, uh, weaponized media, recreating society, the brain fog and spell um, of, of media. We talk about exploring, overcoming fear and developing courage. Uh, we talk about a class action lawsuit that's going on against the RCMP and why action breeds success and some of her just incredible work that she's been doing for a long time. So she, because she lived in Africa, was able to sniff out the shenanigans really quick here and was quick to action. And so uh, she's doing a lot of great things. This is a phenomenal episode. I know you're going to like it. And if you do, the censorship is very, very intense. So if you can share this, leave a review, um, you know, do whatever you can to get the word out there. It is uh, incredibly helpful. Um, the best thing that you can do is become a member. So go to mapbaylayer.com, uh, click the membership, and uh, you'll see some options there. Um, you know, you can do it by donation. And if you need a free link, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com, and I'll happily send you a free link. Would love to stay in touch. It's the best way to stay in touch. Uh, you can also check me out on Rockfin and um, Telegram is where I post most. And because, uh, you know, like I said, it's, uh, you know, Instagram, I started posting there a little bit after getting deleted. But, you know, it's uh, it's still it's Telegram is, is almost the last place where we can really just share freely. So uh, I definitely invite you guys to uh, check out the Telegram. It's t.me forward slash Matt Belair. And uh, for those of you guys who want to go through a step by step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit, overcoming fear and developing courage, and designing and living the life of your dreams. Uh, Check out the phenomenal Soul Compass course that is within the membership, or you can apply for coaching if you want to do some one-on-one or join a very powerful community of dedicated, like-minded hearts and souls who just want to uh, live up to their highest potential. They want to design a life from integrity, from their soul, from who they truly are, and they want to do it in the community. And if you're, um, you know, feel like you're the only one this is definitely you know that thinks like you think and you know so many people out there feel like you know that they're the ones in their communities trying to spread the word and spread the truth and nobody's listening but you're definitely not the only one and if you want a really empowering community to um, support you and what you need as far as tools resources education and mastermind for developing and creating the life that you want to live and navigating these challenging times hit me up mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and i'll share with you all the amazing options to help you um, just build and decide what you want and so uh, that's it um, make sure to uh, subscribe and like and do all that kind of stuff but uh, let's get into this episode uh, the most oh that's what I forgot the best way to support this show I knew there's something I was trying to like figure out what it was uh, the best the best way to support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today all right so let's get into this episode but before we do let's come into a state of peace and coherence wherever you are in the world to stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose 
Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, confidence, courage, and get ready to dive into this amazing episode with Susan Stanfield. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, censorship is bonkers. We are getting deleted everywhere. If you want to support this show, go over to mattbelair.com, sign up, become a member, share, leave a review, do what you can to get the message out there. But most importantly, do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest received a BA in political science from Queens University at Kingston, starting her degree the same month she knew her mother had four months to live as a result of big tobacco shareholders and corrupt health policy in Canada. Looking back, that was the single most defining experience of her life. Since the age of 17, she has traveled, lived, and worked all over the world and since 2001 has worked in various roles of human rights investment in Canada and Africa. In 2003, she founded her first social profit venture, moved to Africa in 2004, and after moving home in 2016, starting the No More Lockdowns Economic and Natural Health Rights Movement on April 12, 2020 at Vancouver City Hall, when she saw blatant and criminal evidence of organized public health fraud in British Columbia. Her work uses video and photo-based public pedagogy, educates women and mums about human rights vis-a-vis her brand, Health Justice. Welcome to the show, Susan Stanfield. Thank you. What an honor to be here. It's so great to have you on the show. Uh, You were recommended months ago uh, from a mutual friend, Lindsay Woods. So I'm grateful to her. Shout out, Lindsay. And the more I learn about you, I'm just like, oh, my goodness, this lady is an absolute badass. Um, Like, wow, you're you're doing some amazing work. You have done amazing work. And I'm so grateful you're standing up. And one of the things we were talking about before is how we need more people to stand up against the obvious corruption and how you had lived in Africa and were understand what tyranny looks like and how it's kind of being um, seated in Canada. And because we've had it so good for so long, so many people think it's fine and they're playing their part and, you know, they're super virtuous for following the rules until, you know, they're fastening their own handcuffs, you know, and then shouting at you for not wearing them. Um, so, why don't you share a little bit about your background as much as you wish, because it's uh, very colorful and amazing. And then we'll dive into some of the topics that we want to cover today. Cool. Okay. Well, I have a like a really kind of average background. Grew up in you know Vancouver, West Side. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My father was a lawyer, but he wasn't a human rights lawyer. Um, we he lost a lot of money in the '70s and '80s because of the recession. Another you know intentional bankruptcy, I would imagine interest rates went to like 23 or 27%. It was historical. A lot of people lost their homes. So from a young age, I, I knew that, you know, life I had, we had to take care. I started working when I was 13, right. To get some extra cash, uh, got a good, got a good education, you know, thanks to, to my family. It wasn't very expensive back then, but that was, I started that when I saw my mother die right in front of me because of tobacco. I didn't make the connection. We didn't talk about big tobacco back then. That was 1986, but I just really kind of turned left and I've been on this other road ever since. I'm just, I haven't lived a life like most people like yourself, I imagine, but I'm, I'm essentially kind of like 
you know, just a regular mom at the playground. That's what I live. I'm not a radical. I'm, I'm maybe braver than most people or most women. That's my hallmark, really. I'm not afraid to speak the truth and to challenge power. Mostly, I think, because I grew up in that system. I grew up in a very affluent part of Vancouver. And all those people that run these systems were our neighbors and family friends, bankers, judges, lawyers, doctors. So I know how the system works. I know that it's got good people in it. And I know how you can change it and how to look for the cracks to expose it and to bring it down. So that's what my brand is about. And that's the work I'm doing now. Well, you've been doing it for uh, a while and you have some really spectacular stories. Where do you think we should begin with this? Because you were talking about doing the first March in, um, in Vancouver, you know, it's in April and we're in the same page where I figured this out right away because I'd been studying this stuff from years, years ago. Right. And so when they said two week lockdown, I was like, this is no two week lockdown. It took me about a week of research and I was able to, um, put all the pieces together to be like, Oh, smokes, like this is going to be. Um, as far as they can get, they're going to keep going. And because their plans and what they want to do, their public information, anybody can find it. It's actually not that hard. You just have to do some research, some critical thinking, vet it here and there, you know, look at two points of view and then start adding stuff up. And you can hear the quotes from these people that want to engineer this, right? It's not that complicated. So you're one of the first people to take action because you got hit pretty hard. Um, so where do you think we should start with uh, what you want to cover today? Okay, well, I'll tell you a very simple story from Nairobi as an example, a little lesson that I learned when I moved to Africa. But to before that, I have a media background. I've worked in the media most of my career. So I know what they're doing. And I watch everything they're doing. And I know exactly what they're doing because I used to be in those rooms. I used to make the pharmaceutical commercials. I used to hire the public relations people that write things for Bonnie. I used to hire the makeup artists, like I know exactly what they're doing. And I saw that from day one. And I've been watching this for years when I moved back from Africa. But when I moved to Kenya in 2004, 2005, I was going, started going back and forth. First time living away from Western society, long, long term, not just traveling. And I'm a photographer and I was photographing an old building that was, it, it was the law courts or it was something kind of historical. It's beautiful old architecture, colonial architecture. And the security guard came up to me and said, oh, uh, you're not allowed to take a picture of that building. And I said, so, excuse me? And he goes, no, no, you're not allowed to take pictures of the building. And I realized, I was like, okay, this guy really believes that. And I said, what do you mean? You think there's a law? And he goes, yeah, yeah, there's a law. And I said, have you seen the law? And he said, no. And Kenyans are really smart, right? They're really intellectual. I'm like, so you haven't seen the law. You think it's written in a book? And he was like, uh, well, I don't know. And we started going through that conversation together. And I said, there is no law that says you're not allowed to photograph a building. You've just been told to enforce that idea on people. And I realized then I was like, wow, like law itself is a weapon. And he was raised and, and trained in a security environment and forces under a corrupt government to literally violate the most basic and daily rights of someone who's not allowed to take a photograph. Like I wasn't speaking, I wasn't doing anything. I was just recording the truth. And I've never forgotten that conversation. I'm very surprised that we actually have that here now because I used to go back and forth for years, right? Africa, Vancouver, Nairobi, Johannesburg, West Africa, everything. And every time I came back into Canada, I was like, wow, the Canadians have no idea how good we have it. 
how many freedoms we have, how much liberty we have. They just don't understand. And I would listen to people and I say this respectfully, you know, they, their complaints were that they couldn't afford the $20,000 kitchen renovation. And I was like, wow, <laughs> we, this is unusual what we have in Canada because most of the world doesn't have that, doesn't have what we used to have. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've traveled the world, you do recognize how fortunate Canadians are, uh, Americans, Europeans. And now we are starting to slide into what other countries have, have experienced. And I remember uh, doing an interview with Clifford Mahoudi, who is a Zuni elder, and the Native Americans obviously um, have had a terrible past with our governments and our, our leaders. And he said, um, if Joe Biden gets in, then, and this isn't a political thing, this is just what uh, Clifford said. He goes, if Biden gets in, um, the rest of the states is going to know um, what it was like to be a Native American. You know, and he was dead serious. Yeah. He's like, you know, because our rights are about to get trampled. Now they're coming for the guns in the States. And I, I called the gun thing, you know, months and months ago because it's all out there. So um, what do you see going on? Um, and where do you think we should take this? What, I know you have a couple of points. So what do you, what do you want to tackle first? Okay, well, so many things about what you're doing that I think are interesting and I've made some notes here. Um, you know, I, I, I'm doing what I think you would say you're doing is that I'm, I'm building a brand, I'm building a business to support my family, but also I use the private sector because it has power. So that's my choice to build a brand um, that serves humanity. And that's my goal. That's what I've, the work I've done for 20 years and I'm trying to make it cool and hip and get more people to understand that we can build new economies and new societies. We don't have to take the leftovers of what the rich, powerful people throw at us. We can build something completely fresh. So I see our world really kind of splintering into two or three different societies that almost don't even interact. Like there's people that I've known all my life who live in a very different world, who are wearing the mask and doing the vaccine. I literally never run into them. And I live probably a six minute drive from their homes, or used to when I lived in Vancouver. They occupy just a different world and I occupy a world over here and people who are living in chronic poverty, we all, there's many different societies going on in our society. So I think that will become more entrenched. The world that I'm in now, I think is only going to get bigger and more beautiful and we won't be locked down. I'm not locked down, right? So there'll be a splintering of that. Um, and the focus really for most of us is should always be build the new system, you know, make the better the, the answer, create, um, solve, not to dwell on the problem, but to build the solution uh, through media or business, what I'm doing in any way, shape or form, that all of our energy should be on the new system. And we can win. We're already winning. If you think about it, I think we're already winning. The EU just introduced the vaccine passport yesterday in the European Parliament. So Wednesday, yeah, Thursday or Wednesday, they introduced it. And I've been told it's already been voted down. So that's good. We didn't think that would happen, but you wouldn't think that if you were spending your whole day on social media, you'd probably think it was doom and gloom, but they actually voted no. There will be no vaccine passport in any European market. Well, that's amazing. And I love what you said there too, because you said building it in the private. And so I've been looking for solutions uh, since the beginning of this and, and always even in the past, like I remember being in my early twenties, learning about, you know, the globalist bankers and the agenda and like these groups of people that just want more control. Right. And then going to other countries and seeing how other people lived and, and seeing how that's actually indeed reality and how most people kind of live in this bubble, you know, in Canada and the U S with no awareness and they don't want to know. And I feel like this 
experience of this fake pandemic has caused us to open our compassion to all of the world. And so it's like, okay, not everybody has these freedoms, but now we're in a point where we can't save everybody. We need to start building the solution now. Like Buckminster Fuller said, you don't build the, you don't, you don't build the new world by fighting the old, you do it by building the new, something along those lines. It's a great quote that I just butchered. Um, you make, yeah, you make the old system obsolete by yes, creating- Yes, 100%. And so when people see you in freedom and in joy and in happiness and in health and in community of like-minded, supportive people, people are going to want to do that. And so the question that I have for you is, um, with your understanding of law, because I, re- I understand you got arrested, so good for you. Um, if you get deleted or arrested these days, it's almost like a badge of honor for just literally being a, a human being, you know, standing up for what's right. Do you think that they're going to encroach on us and, and say, all right, if we build these kind of break off private societies or private groups that they'll encroach or they're just going to focus on the people who are opting into this system? Yeah, that's a that's the big answer, right? And uh, I I would make a guess. We can all make a guess, but we really have to go one day at a time and see. So it seems that John Horgan has made an announcement, I think, today or yesterday, that people who are vaccinated will be favored in British Columbia. Well, like honestly, British Columbians aren't going to buy that. Like he can say that on TV. They're they've weaponized mainstream media, but. I leave my door, I go shopping, I hang out with hundreds of people a day in my community. I haven't met anybody that would say that or believes in that. So it's really important, you know, not to take that system seriously in terms of the information or the propaganda, I guess would be the right word, right? I don't, I actually don't think any of that is going to happen. We got another hard year in front of us, but anytime you put in some sort of authority, there's a reaction to it. You know, like when you create a law, there's a, there's a negative to that law too. So if you pay, create a law, no smoking um, in the restaurant, you protect the people in the restaurant, but you also violate the rights of the people who smoke. Now, I don't want people smoking in restaurants, but do you see what I mean? Every time you, you create something to protect one group of people, you theoretically can be violating other groups. And so using law and government, you know, is really dangerous now. Like it's getting so big and so many laws that someone like me, I grew up in the seventies. Like, I don't even think we had to wear seatbelts back then, (laughs) you know? So I do think that humanity is getting fed up, you know, thanks to people like you who have amazing reach and little things that I'm doing um, that the, the snowball has happened. We're not going to go back to accept more tyranny. It's only going to get more free. That's the way I look at it, but it depends on what story you're following. You know, if you're watching mainstream news, you, you would think you're, in, you're entering this nightmare world if you hang out with someone like me. You know, I, I walk into a grocery store and say, hi, I'm new to the community. Am I welcome to spend my money here without a mask on? And they're kind of like, yeah, you're welcome to be here. And so a lot of it is how, how you navigate that, the personal authority, and maybe that's something we could discuss, that personal authority we all choose to, to have. And that's what I work on really is get, teaching women and moms what that means to them and how they can do that in a way that's unique and authentic to them, because that's the name of the game is, is taking back our personal authority. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I'd love for you to touch on that. I, in doing these law podcasts, my brain is starting to think a little bit differently. And in law, they say your rights are endowed by the creator. Um, Then the, then it goes the creator man and then government created man to protect the rights And what's happening is under that is corporations, corporations and the government are usurping 
that connection to the creator saying, look, this is what you cannot can and can't do as a free man or woman on the land. And then that coincides with honor. So it doesn't mean that if you could do anything as a free person, you drive 150 kilometers through a school zone. You don't do that because it's not honorable. You know the difference between right and wrong. You care about your community. It's about this encroaching system of government saying you're going to have to get a vaccine forced medical intervention if you want to shop. You have to uh, wear a slave mask because of this propaganda we're putting out to basically enslave you. And, um, you know, you're gonna have to follow all these rules. Well, you and I never had an agreement for me to do that. So how do we stand in our, our power and move forward where we're trained since childhood to be obedient, where we're trained to be order followers, we're trained not to question and to go into places in the way that you just shared, I think is very powerful because immediately most men want to be combative. Unfortunately, most men now aren't even combative. They're just docile and just complacent and, you know, are going to just go with what they're told. I've seen, I've seen one other person, one woman since the start of this, not wear a mask. That's it. Me. It's just always me. And so, you know, I find that women are standing up more um, and so, yeah, maybe talk about that because it takes courage and it does take a mindset and it also takes knowledge. You have to really know what you're doing. You know, you have to, ha you have to know your information. You have to know what the death count is. You have to know the fraud every step of the way. So you're confident in your decisions because good people don't want to harm other people. But when tyranny is happening, we need people to stand up because tyranny is going to go as far as the people let it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say about the gender difference, right? That's a discussion maybe that we could put out there more. That's a really big, interesting part of this. So I like to use real examples. So when I was like 13 um, and my brother was allowed to stay out until 11 o'clock at night, I had to come home at nine. That was the family rule. It was always different for him, right? And he was out, you know, he wasn't driving a car or anything, but it wasn't fair. And I said to my father, who's very, at that time, especially when he was an active lawyer, very fair and reasonable. These were the discussions we had around the dinner table because of the law in our family. And I said, that's not fair. That's not equal. Why am I treated differently? And he said, well, because you're a girl and it's not as safe for you out at night. And that was the truth. That was why I was supposed to be home earlier, right? So as women, we're, we grow up in these cultures and these worlds being told from the youngest of age that the world is not safe for us as women. We're going to be harmed. We're going to be raped, whatever, right? So it's, it's very natural, I think, to see most activists as females. I think statistically 80% of environmental activists are women. You know, we are the gender that gets most screwed. And I know that it's changing now, but... So you always see a woman there. She's in the grocery store looking at the chemicals that she doesn't want her kids to have. She's buying the overpriced clothing. She is interacting with economies more. A, a, a man, the husband may be bringing in more money, which might be typical in the past or whatever. So he's also indentured in that financial system more than she is. So I have more freedom to speak than my husband because he's involved with the financial system in a way that could punish him if he speaks out, but I'm not. I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want because I have my own little business and it's growing. But, you know, that's a big part of this is the economic freedom. And a lot of the women that you will see in the movement are happened, say, over the past five years, more stay at home moms or mompreneurs. And they have more economic independence than the men do. And that's a big, big part of this. Like I've got a, a whole bunch of very successful, wealthy friends and I was and good for them. Right. I'm really happy for them. 
And I was very naive in the beginning. I thought they would help me in Vancouver. So I reached out to them about lawsuits and protests and stuff and what, and no silence from all of them, right? Silence because they're in the system. They're not bad people, but they're in the system. And one of them even said to me who had lost $7 million in the first two months because of his hospitality holdings. He's a big hospitality, you know, millionaire. And he said, Sue, I can't speak against the government because they're one of my main customers. And so that's the financial thing. And even though he knew it was wrong, he couldn't, he's got investors, he's got partners, he couldn't take that chance that would have been, you know, against the fiduciary duty of, of towards his investors. So that's a big part of it. And the money part, as you said, in the opening, this is a huge, huge piece of it. And when you look at the societies that generally have not had money, like indigenous communities, maybe you're following the Ecuador story right now with Steve Donziger, he's talking about it a lot. They haven't had that, the accumulation of, of cash for cash sake. So they've been able to build more free systems. Wow. Well, you bring up a lot of great points. I think financial is a massive one and also being plugged into the system, right? So you have, uh, you know, there's police on guard for knee, for these now, which is a great movement of, you know, quality officers and former police and former military who have integrity and signed up for the right reasons to protect the charter of rights and freedoms. Um, also in Spain, you saw videos where the police took off their helmets and they marched with the people. You know, enslavement requires that people enslave other people. And so we have, you know, the, the I forget what they called the, the trials where, what were those trials in World War II? Oh, Nuremberg. Yeah. yeah, Nuremberg. And they said, you know, just following orders doesn't cut it. And so we have, you know, police following orders and nurses following orders. But luckily in Canada, a lot of nurses aren't taking the vaccines. You know what I mean? And there's only one side of this. This is why it's so dangerous is, you know, people have difference of opinion all the time. Now it's gone so insane that if you have a difference of opinion, and you don't want that and you've done your own research, they won't look at you. They just categorize you immediately and demonize you. There's no discussion and always one side is ignorant and it's the other side, you know what I mean? Because you're not having a two-way discussion. You're not presenting evidence. You're not giving a good logical argument. You know, you're not citing any facts. You're just citing brainwashed propaganda and you're not researching it. And that was the shocking thing to me, how many discussions I had with friends and people that I knew that weren't even willing to discuss this, even though that I knew it for work, I spent all day researching i talked to brilliant people around all different topics because i think knowledge is really important and really empowering and so if they want to take out the financial piece which is what's happening we have people plugged into the system like the matrix right so they're like i can't speak out because i'm a teacher i can't speak out because i'm a police officer i can't speak out because i'm a part of this this sustains me what what do you recommend for those people to do because i see the financial system getting worse and i feel that's a big Thing that's going to come yeah. up here it, it might even i would say do what i did um 20 years ago and it's hard but the sooner you do it i parachuted out of the american television commercial industry where i worked and i was paid really well and i had a great career from the outside whatever and i started to hate it i was watching what we were doing filming and i was like we create tons of garbage we lie to parents to sell them plastic stuff to the, give to their children <laughs> the drug commercials, everything. And I started seeing this in my social network and my, not employers, but people I worked with, colleagues, right? I was like, I don't know about this anymore. Like, I don't think this is a good career anymore. And a lot of people said to me, and again, really good people, um, well, do you have to worry? Do you have to care so much about that part? Just make your money, just do your thing. It's a career, you know, just hang on to what you've got. And I was like, I'm only 32. 
And he, someone even said to me, you can be happy when you retire. And I was like, that's like 40 more years <laughs> or never. I'll never retire. I was like, I got to get out fast. The faster I can get out, jump ship, swim around, find another ship. So that's one option. And that's scary for people. But the faster you can get out, the better. There really isn't. You can ease it. You can make a plan. I say that to actually a lot of people. Make a one-year plan. Figure out what your dream work is and the minimum amount of money that you need to survive for a couple of years and put those pieces in place over three months, six months, 12 months. Then you'll be there. It's like getting out of debt or losing weight. You know, like most people never lose the weight they want to and they never get out of date they want to because they just don't do the right things. And that's all this is about is put make a plan, put the pieces in place, get there. I love that. And I often actually speak about that because there's so much out there right now about abundance and 10x and 100x and the quick way and getting more. And, and that's what we've been really indoctrinated in over the last 20 years or so. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time when I talk to abundance about pe- with people and I'm coaching, I'll say, you know what, what, how little can you live with? You know, what can you get rid of, of all this excess expense to get to the most important thing, which is always people's family, their relationship, their curiosities, the quality of life, the community they're in, self-sustainability, all the things a human being really truly wants and feels fulfilled from, connection uh, from nature, meaningful work. And so that that's going to require you let go to this illusion because it's almost like this bright, shiny light the screens and the, uh, you know, the hockey games or the football games in the States and the shiny stars and the city is shining and attracting you in there. And you're not recognizing what you have to sacrifice to be there to participate in that system. And it's the only one, you know, right now. And also there are other options. If you can just break away a little bit, recognize you can let go. So I'm all, I like pull and shoot. I think that's a great, um, I think that's a great analogy. And now it's becoming more forced. Now it's like, okay, the temperature is heating up a little bit. Um, it's becoming more likely that you're going to consider that option. And so what I wanted to ask is, have you seen that leaked timeline in Canada that seems to be playing out, uh, exactly on time about, you know, um, the third lockdown. So we're getting that in Ontario. So that's the next on our schedule is this next lockdown. That's even worse. And then um, they're going to announce the universal basic income in Canada. And if you look at Catherine Austin Fitz, she talks about how they're trying to extend this old banking system because it does go up to the international banking system, the IMF and the globalists, if you trace it all the way back and what they'd like to execute and a transfer into a digital currency, then we're really hooped if we're playing in that system and we're going to have to participate in it. And if that's your choice, great. You're going to have a vaccine passport. You're going to do what they tell you um, and all that kind of stuff. So the question I want to ask is how do you see things unfolding in Canada and around the world? And what do you see for solutions? Because I know people are really afraid and this kind of a second question in there, but talk a little bit about courage too, after you handle the first one, I'll write it down to remind you. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said before, I don't know how it's going to go in Canada because Canada is full of really good, solid people terrifying that nobody fought for hockey that was a benchmark for me nobody fought for hockey and hockey was like the holy grail in canada right so i don't know is canada gonna like they're walking basically into a sleepwalking into authoritarianism in a way but there's also a huge rebound but we don't really see it in the mainstream media there's so many more people like us than we're led to believe so that's what i think about what's going to happen is we actually don't know we really have to watch it one day at a time We have a governance system that works against human rights. We have the British 
system of rule, the constitutional monarchy is not designed to protect human rights the way the American system is. So we have a bad system that can be weaponized against us. And it's very interesting actually that the governor general left power because that is one of the key pieces of this bad system. It's just rotten, it's old, it's, it hasn't been changed in 300 years. It's designed to control and oppress the people. So we have to wrench out some of these systems. We have to get rid of these orders in council. We have to get rid of these public health officers that have more power than our most powerful elected leaders. So we've got some mechanics that we're always going to struggle with. But I think the most um, positive sign is the, the doubling and the tripling and the quadrupling of these numbers of people, the more mainstream people coming out and doing things like the stand on guard for the, you know, I kind of wish they were with me back in April, we could have used the help back then. But people didn't understand the connection between the pharmaceutical power, and that's a big part of this, and, and the media. And that's where someone like Gates really comes in, right? He's really a master of those two things. And I have been focused on that for three years. So I wanted to show you a couple of things in my studio that I focus on. And these are ways for women in particular, anybody who wants to do this kind of work, where the more you get into building and designing solutions, the more you realize what is available to us all around. So for example, I pick this up, I pick up stuff all the time from a little shop in Vancouver called, um, called Bird on a Wire. It used to be on Main Street, now it's in Kitsilano. And I'm looking for a collaborative design manufacturer to design some wildlife things for me that I can sell um, to protect and raise money to protect wildlife habitat. So this is a bear, but I'm going to see if they'll do um, a cheetah for me to raise some money for a cheetah habitat sanctuary in South Africa, a few minutes from where we live in Cape Town. So if I can, I will be able to do this and design it and sell it and monetize it and create part of an economy for my family to live in and buy my groceries or whatever. That's all possible. And that's possible because the market exists. And the market is right outside our house. So it's right on the computer screen for everybody to take advantage of. There's no barriers to something like this. You just have to be motivated. Everybody can participate in recreating the society you want. And I guess what it comes down to, and this is a question I had for you about the brain, because I think you're into the brain, right? Um, I've studied the brain for years. And what makes somebody different, how they think than somebody else, a, a lot of it is brain, how they use their brain and how they choose to think. And there is a, there's kind of a fog in the Western society from all of these powerful corporations that they're trying to keep us asleep and they're trying to keep us scared. And I know because I used to make those TV commercials and they're designed to do that. Here's your problem. Isn't it a terrible problem? You're gonna buy this thing and you're not gonna have a problem anymore. And that's the main narrative of Western society right now. But if you unplug from that and you start dreaming and thinking and going for the things you want and not having limited beliefs. So I, had, I hired a life coach years ago and got rid of all the limiting beliefs. I know that anything's possible in relation to, to the amount of energy and creativity I put into it, right? But you have to think that way. And so that's one of the most powerful tools I guess we have to use is educating people about the power of mindset. That's everything. That's like, that's 90% of this. Once you choose to think and believe in a certain way, and maybe that's something that you could speak about because you talk about that. I saw that in some of your stuff about the power of the mind. And the fact that you're a skateboarder and a snowboarder 
you've got one of the strongest brains around because those two sports are phenomenal in terms of what they do to the brain. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. That's great. You're going to have to send me yeah. some stuff. I appreciate the compliment. Well, I yeah. think the, the big thing you're touching on here is creativity and the opposite of creativity is, well, not, not quite the opposite, but the biggest inhibitor of life for a human is fear. And that's how this whole system is designed fear and you use fog and it's also a manipulation. It's a spell. And so in studying mindset, hypnosis and all the different tools, I was learning how to empower myself. So if I wanted to land a kickflip down a five stair or something when I was a kid and always try to get better, I would tell myself what I wanted to do and then I would visualize it, right? Well, if I say, don't imagine uh, the Canada flag on fire or don't imagine a purple hippopotamus, the brain starts to imagine those things. And so you notice this in media that it's not just one murder show. It's like from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at night. It's all murder shows, all of, you know, all these different genres about murder and fear, right? And then at 10 and 11, you've got your indoctrination from the late night show. And then at, from 6 to 7, you got your fake news. And then all the newspapers, they're all fake too. They're all hijacked by pharmaceuticals and interests that are not for your benefit. And the problem is people believe that they're reading information um, that is true. That is supposed to be, this is what's going on in the world when really it's designed, it's function is not for that. Right. And so first we have to step out of fear, right? And yes, danger is real. And once you recognize that you have all the capabilities, all the tools necessary to overcome that, whatever that fear is going to be. Then the next thing is it's creating the solution. So once you've gone out of that fear, um, you can then work together to create the solution. And for this whole coronavirus uh, nonsense. J just imagine it was like the deadliest thing of all time, which it is not because you can look up the statistics, you know, a CTV. And I just did an, I I'm off Facebook. So I forgot about all the, the people out there that are just not, not doing any research at all. But uh, they said something about masks. And I was like, in Canada, they released a 98% of deaths were in long-term care on CTV by accident. Then they deleted it. And then they even deleted the clip of themselves of other people saying, Hey, look, these are the stats in Canada, 98% of deaths in long-term care. And that was a little while ago, average age of death uh, above 80, 2.6 ex existing comorbidities. You know, then you look at all these people in office and how corrupt they are. It's just absurd. So that's just a side note. So um, what, so just imagine, so we're in a cave and we're, we're all hunting and gathering and everything's all good. And then all of a sudden, one day somebody gets eaten by a lion. Well, if we'd watched that, we'd be pretty terrified because holy smokes, that is a big cat just kicking some butt. Well, if we stayed in our cave for the rest of our existence, we wouldn't have a life and we wouldn't thrive as a species. What humans do is we explore, we push boundaries, we test ourselves, we're adaptable. And so we start venturing out, getting intelligence on this thing. Where does it live? How does it sleep? What do we do? Then we start building tools. So the next time when we see this thing, we've got these sticks that are sharpened. We've got uh, 50 of us standing together, 100 of us standing together. And all of a sudden, this thing that was a threat is no longer a threat. Um, and what's happening now is we have this guise of night, this guise of fear, this darkness that's terrifying people. So they're not looking past that block of fear into what's possible, into creating and co-creating a beautiful world uh, with each other. So the most important thing is overcoming that fear to get 
and tap into the creative force because that's a side of God, spirit, nature, and the creator. And that side is always going to win. Nature is always going to win. I love the analogy wow. of, you know, no amount of darkness can snuff out a candle, but, a, but one candle can lit a darkened room. And you can also take that same candle and light up thousand other candles without diminishing its own life. And that really is a great analogy for the human spirit. And with that said, I'd love to, for you to speak on, you know, your courage, because how do women, right. And men, cause you know, it, we are different in society, right. I have a daughter and, and there are more predators, right. That will mess with a woman than a man, a man, you know what I mean? And I'm physically more capable right. Of defending myself. It's just, I'm built different. It's just the way it is. I know gender has gone all hunky dory and funhouse mirror. Can't say things like that anymore. Uh, but it's just true. Like I know martial arts and I'm pretty darn strong and I'm going to be able to handle myself. Right. Not that a woman can, I know many capable women, but the chances of me getting attacked are far less, way far less because these predators. And if you study combat, the art of war, if you read a book called uh, the gift of fear, these predators and these globalists and, the, and all these evil people that are trying to hurt you, they only work in the shadows. The second you expose those cowards and you confront them, they run away. So when, when women are attacked or people are attacked in public, it's always in a hive mind scenario or like in the darkness. It's never one-on-one. -on -one. And so when we're going into the grocery stores, we want to make the right move, but we understand the hive mind uh, might be a little bit dangerous. How did you build up your courage? How do you connect people to that? And, and if you want to speak directly to women, that, that could be good too, because yeah, I think okay. the mothers are well, so guess, important. You don't mess with a mother. You know what I mean? You don't mess with a grandmother. A couple things. Well, from my media background, I knew the power of mothers because that's who we targeted with our television commercials. Moms generally control the household spend. About 80% of the money is controlled by the mother's decision. She picks where they'll go on holiday. She picks the restaurant. She buys the clothing. She buys the minivan, whatever. So mostly the woman will influence a decision. And that is backed up with, you know, decades of research, right? So I knew that moms were a tool. And I, and I was like, wow, I'm a mom too. And that's good because I can speak to this group of people. Because of losing my mother when I was so young, it was so unjust and it was so painful for me for so many years, decades even, that to have loss at that young age, I just ended up an incredibly strong person just because of the loss. And most people who are fighting for justice are there because they have faced great injustice. It's, it's the trigger. Um, and most people who, people who have not faced great injustice they're not out there fighting because they don't know what it's like. You know, it's like when you lose your health, when you have a heart attack, that's the person that becomes more healthy, typically, not always, but typically. So that was me in that, in that world. There I was with my bravery in this world of the most powerful people in the world, the moms. And it's the same in Africa, Australia, Asia. It's all about the moms. It's the same statistics. So I also knew that I was pretty hard to take down because I'm educated um, I have a high intellect. I'm smart, right? I, I can do this work. I can outsmart most of these people. I had the time on my hands. I had the creativity. I had the, di the, 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 the dynamic thought. And I had a media background and I knew I could engage people in story and knew that people would follow me. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm that what we call in war, in the humanitarian world, where I used to work the war industry, um, the third truck. And I don't know if you know this story, but when a, an enemy, a battle is beginning 
and forces are sent out to enemy lines, they send out the first truck, who are the weakest soldiers, basically, because they're, they're going to survive no matter what, because the enemy sees the first truck and they're like, oh, here they come. And then the next level of soldiers are sent out in the second truck and the enemy focuses their gun, they lift their gun and they point it on the second truck, but they don't shoot. They shoot at the third truck. And when the third truck comes out, those are the strongest forces you have to have with the most bulletproof vest, the strongest trucks, whatever, because they will sustain the fire. And it's a known metaphor in war, the third truck. And I thought, I'm the third truck. I've got those strengths. I'm not gonna run out with the flag and go, hey, everybody. I'm going to be able to survive the bullet wounds and I'm going to be able to get back up again. So it better be me out there leading because I don't think I can trust most of the other moms around me. What if they're not as strong as I am and I'm hiding behind them? I'll go first. I'll be the shield. All I got to keep doing is getting up again. All I got to keep doing is surviving this. I've been arrested. I've been stalked. I've been slandered, right? All I got to do is keep getting up again and keep going forward. And you probably have some thoughts on that, right? About being a coach and stuff. And that's actually not very hard. Even if you don't want to do it, just get up again, go for the run, get up again, wash your face, get up again. Muhammad Ali talks about it. Um, Mandela talks about it. It's the getting up that gives you that strength. And I thought, what if the other women don't know that? I know that. I know that to be true because I've survived it. And that's what I will teach them. And that's basically what my brand is about, is teaching women how to be resilient and how to be courageous in a way that is unique to them and they can grasp onto. I love all that. And, it, and it's so well said. And I, and I think it's really important. When you, if you're doing mindset work or coaching work with somebody, we did this last week in our coaching call where I would say, you know, just imagine the worst thing that's possible, right? You go for the thing you want to do. Imagine the worst case scenario. When I, when they always, when they write it all down, it wasn't as scary, right? Usually you can persevere, you know, nine times out of 10, it's not as bad as you think. It's actually more of a mental limiter. And what we're doing is we're limiting our capacity, right? I like David Goggins because he's a friggin' animal. And, um, you know, I think he says, I don't know if it's him or someone else that said, when you think you're done, you know, and you can't give an ounce uh, more, you're probably 40% done. You know, your body is capable of so much more. And then if you want to go into the spiritual side of it, when I was training with the Shaolin monks, you know, they would use energy and things like that, right? They would, they would do Qigong and mindset and all this stuff, or you could call it the spiritual force, the life force, the chi that's in all people. Like how do people do these miraculous things? How does, um, you know, that guy who cut off his arm when he had to, you know, Aaron Rolston, I think. And, you know, how do, how do people do extraordinary things? How do mothers lift up cars when, you know, they have no business lifting up a car? right? Most people cannot lift up a car, but they're put in this scenario and all of a sudden some sort of spirit or will or decision or force comes on and makes that possible. Or the, um, you know, the tenacity and adaptability of all the cultures of the world surviving in all the different places of the world, you know, for decades and generations. It's extraordinary what we've already persevered. And now what's happened is we've been pacified into a Wally world where we're just, everything is comfortable. You know, our food comes in a nice package. We cook it up. You know what I mean? You got to get a new kitchen for this much. You know, the TV, everything is just pacifying you as these predators are now enslaving you. And the problem is you've got blinders on because you don't want to know. You don't want to look at it. And the cognitive dissonance is a real problem for so many people. They're just choosing cognitive dissonance. They're just trying to truck along, truck along forward. 
and not even look. And that is an issue. You're, you're causing harm to yourself and your family and the community by doing that. You need to understand that it actually does exist. And that's one of their weapons. They're saying, no, there's, you actually, um, if you call us out, you know, you're dangerous. What you want to do is you want to make sure all of your friends are obeying too to the slavery. That's the safe thing to do. And then you're going to be virtuous if you do that. And so there's such a, a level of manipulation going on that's incredibly dangerous. And the last thing I'll just comment on it is the mothers, because when I was studying with David Lombard Senapas, he said that in the Mi'kmaq culture, the grandmother council is what send the men to war, right? Because they have more patience, more tolerance. And we don't have a a respectful culture anymore. It's gone to crap almost, right? So you need to be that person who is in honorable and respectful and conducting yourself in a certain manner. And so with that all said, you know, I think what's happening is it's this fear of law is one of the, the root ones. So we looked at, you know, people coming home from Canada saying you have to take this test, right? And then you go into this quarantine camp if you test positive. People think that's mandatory and you have to because they don't recognize it's an offer, it's an option. So they can decline that offer. Then you're gonna be intimidated by two police officers with guns that represent the corporation of Canada or the US. Then they might offer you a ticket. And so you're afraid of paying that ticket. You're afraid of going to jail. You're afraid of um, you know, rocking the boat because you don't have that knowledge yet. And so what do you recommend for people that, that have that fear? They're like, oh, well, I can't go to jail. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. And that's why I'm really focused a lot on law. So what have you learned and what do you know about that? Yeah. Oh, again, I always just see opportunities, right? There's a lot of tools in to do that. So here's a couple examples. One is, and this is why I do what I do, and I'll show you something I'm working on today. It's a, it's a book for children. It's a book about justice for children. And I'm going to teach them through kind of paint by numbers, color by numbers, what food justice is and what organic food justice is and small farming. Um, and this will go into the market and this will sell and moms will be able to buy it. And that's the, that, so the market is that tool. It's a hack, right? Using the private sector in the same way, money is a hack. And the average person, if they were actually given the budget, the financials, say in my province or your province of everything that has happened since last January. So if we were able to look at the budget from January, 2020 to December, 2020, and see where the government of British Columbia has allocated all of this money, then it becomes like an x-ray. It's like something you put up on a wall behind a light and it sort of shows you, oh, there's the broken bone. You know, you, the, the x-ray metaphor, right? If, if British Columbians, if 5 million British Columbians were able to look at what the NDP has spent our money on in the past 16 months, I tell you, the outrage and the shock would be so instantaneous because we have an established relationship to our money, our taxpayers' money, what we think the government's supposed to do with money. Not very many people think it's cool to misspend and misappropriate money. So that's a tool, right? Money as our tool, the same way the coloring book, the store, the kid's store, right? It's a tool. It's a door into the justice room, right? And I bet you, God, like how much money, like 10, 20, maybe 30% of the budget from last year has been spent on marketing materials to tell people that they have to obey the government and, and put their rights second. 
And so if British Columbians were actually able to go, oh my God, $700 million was spent on flyers and ads and radio and whatever to tell us this, they would look at that and go, it's like the broken bone and the x-ray. They'd be like, that doesn't seem right. Because the previous year or two years, it only would have been $5 million. You know, and so you can start to see metrics. So money is a great tool. The private sector is a great tool. Getting people away from computers and into parks or kitchen tables or whatever to sit around like you are used to in South American or Latin American cultures. Mine is more Africa. The sitting around in the circle and everybody just actually talking and introducing themselves and sharing their ideas. That's really powerful. And little things like that you can do almost on a daily basis. And that's why we're prevented from gathering. They don't want these kinds of conversations to happen. But many of us are just doing it anyway. I mean, I've got like 5,000 new friends <laughs> since I started the movement. I'm with hundreds of people every week. So it's possible. It's a tool. It's a door in, if you know what I'm saying. So there's three examples. Small gatherings of like-minded people. The market. Looking, The market is everywhere. It's all around us. It has power and momentum. And then um, money. The actual financial accounting. Looking at budgets. We have access to all this information under our laws. I should be able to click on the BC government website and get a pretty quick idea of the money that's running through the system right now. That's a harder thing. That's that's a harder endeavor. But there's always people that are good at these things. If I put it up on my Facebook page, a whole bunch of people would probably send the links and say, here is the Auditor General's report for quarter one of 2021. It's there. And I'll just tell you one more thing about that. The Auditor General of British Columbia for the past five years, she just resigned last year. But before that, her name was Carol Bellringer. Of all things, her name was Bellringer. She refuses to close the budget on 2019 because there's so much financial fraud in the government budget. She refuses to submit it on moral grounds. And nobody knows that. Nobody knows who the Auditor General is. She's not on the front of the newspaper. It's not sexy news or whatever, right? But looking at these systems that a, a basic democracy like Canada has had and we have had forever, they're not bad systems. Um, and it's just a matter of Canadians or British Columbians or the world waking up and being more investigative in terms of laws, economics, the stuff that we've been like, oh, whatever, we'll let the government deal with all that. And then we end up, you know, being taken advantage of. So it's our responsibility to behave in, in, a, in a social justice way. It's our, I believe it's kind of a duty, something that you should do every day. It's like exercising or brushing your teeth. You have to participate in society if you want a good one. If you don't participate, then you really have no reason to complain. Yeah, those are really, really great points. And it reminds me of um, something I heard about the US. I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but there's something possibly in their constitution that states that if the government goes rogue they can dismantle the government because it was set up by the people i don't know if canada has that here or what exactly it says in in the u.s but i heard something along those lines and we again rather than participating we're we've we're also passive and this system was designed right from the education system, right? There is a reason why, um, you know, the Canadian government and the American government took the Native American children from their homes because you take away their history, you take away their lessons, you take away their culture, and you indoctrinate them in a whole nother culture. Well, our culture and the people that I go to school with, most of them don't recognize that we had that too. 
that there was an agenda in place for our generation. And now we're in that because I look at, you know, all these people that I played sports with. And even then they started to, um, uh, I can't think of a better, like make men more sissies, you know what I mean? Stop roughhousing, stop doing this. I was like, well, we're boys. Like, I don't know. We, we want to do it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. We just want to do that. Like, why, why are you telling me stop? Like, we're not, we're not hurting each other on purpose. You know, we're just kind of like wrestling around and testing ourselves and, and enjoying that. But they, they kind of wanted to limit that and really enforce, you know, ob- obedience listening to authority, don't question, color in the lines. And also intelligence is memorizing facts, right? Oh, you, you know, you, if you, if you want to be smart, you just memorize what this is said and, and you don't, you don't really question. And so we're in that now, because I look around at the people that I grew up with and, and around the world, and I don't see people standing up against what's obvious tyranny, right? Just blind obedience. And that's one of the things that's been happening. So um, I like the idea of, of gathering. And the reason why I kind of share that backstory is because there is a person that was doing law meetups near where I'm from, went to his place the following week, the police showed up. And again, people aren't doing these gatherings due to fear. People, they don't want people to know what you just said. They don't want people to hear this podcast. So the censorship has been insane. It's been really challenging for me to survive and do what I do, you know, but I always figure out a way. And I like, I love what you said about that mindset and decision to find a way to be adaptable, you know what I mean? To find a solution because you will, if you focus on that. And so they're doing everything they can to limit this. But if you have a gathering and you start to educate yourself on law, this person defended himself. They want to charge him criminally and that, and it got tossed out. So he empowered himself around the law, around all these different things, and was able to defend himself. And that's what we need is we need uh, people who are sustainable, who are kind. I, I, I liken it to Burning Man. When you go to Burning Man, if you don't know what you're doing at all, um, they call you a sparkle pony because everybody has to like help you, right? You just came to throw on makeup and party and dance and stuff. And they'll let you do that for the first year, but you're in the middle of the desert. You need to plan your food. You need to plan your water. You need to plan for so much stuff. You can't even imagine. It's like going, you know, backpacking in British Columbia and camping. And, you know, you don't bring lighters. You, you can't start a fire. You don't have a, you don't have a tent. You don't have a sleeping bag. You don't have anything for rain. You don't, you're just not equipped. So the more sustainable we are and empowered we are as individuals with our food, water, shelter, and community, the more we can pass that along with others. So we have to disconnect from all of this fakeness, right? Oh, I'm going to just not do this gathering because the television told me not to, right? Because then I'm I'm afraid. And then because then they're afraid that the corporation officer is going to come and get you. Yeah, they might get you an offer, give you an offer of a ticket. So start empowering yourself and understanding how that system is parasitic as well that you don't have to participate. So empower yourself, you know? And so that's what I want to share. Yeah. Well, um, I'll say two things. One, one of the greatest things that I did was hire a life coach to change the way I thought. I was suffering, I think, from a pharmaceutical injury when I worked in the blood diamond wars in the Liberian blood diamond wars. I took two pharmaceuticals. One was ingested uh, and one was injected. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know anything about pharmaceutical injury back then. This was in 2001. And I ended up in a pretty severe depression for two years. And I just thought, well, it's because I can't, I'm not happy. I, I can't find my way in the world. It was, only a, it was only last year when I thought, oh my God, I wonder if I would have been injured. One of them was a yellow fever live vaccine that does create psychosis. And the other was mefloquine, 
which is uh, the RCMP have a major class action lawsuit against the federal government for mefloquine because it causes depression and brain damage. And so it's very likely that I had that um, injury. But in those two years, I just started searching and I changed my diet and I changed my career. I hired a life coach and she taught me the beginnings of that. And part of it was just, well, why don't you just try it? And so, and I realized that there were a lot of things I had never um, made fulfill, come to fulfillment in my life because I actually just hadn't tried them. I had convinced myself out of them. Oh, well, I probably couldn't be a successful writer because so many people want to be a writer, right? Stuff like that. So I wanted to design a project and I hired her at that time and I started it. And it was a, a photographic calendar in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is very poor. And the residents take the photographs and they're put into a calendar and the calendar sells at Christmas. And I had designed this concept and everything, but I was starting to ask people what they thought. And everyone was like, oh, that will never work, Sue. And powerful people said that to me. Even a politician said to me, no, just do things charitably. And then again, when you retire, you can make a difference in your life. It was like things that didn't make sense. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to start. I'm going to do three things on it this week. I went to London Drugs and said, can you give me 100 free cameras? And they said, yes. <laughs> I went to the printing company and said, can you give me a discount to make 10,000 calendars? And he, he said, yes. And I started realizing that every time I went into action, I mostly started seeing successes. And every time I started asking other people what they thought, I just ended back up in the limiting beliefs of doing nothing. And so I literally broke down that, that jail that I was in through that project. That was in 2003. When this thing hit the market, wow, was it ever successful. And so I have that, I had that memory that year and years after that, you know what, if I just do it, if I just build it, it's like if you build it, they will come. I have a 50% chance of succeeding, which means I only need one more percentage chance and I'm on the success side, right? You win or you fail. It's actually a 50-50 thing. Most people think you only have a 3% chance of success, but you actually have a 50% chance. You're going to win or you're going to lose. And those are really good odds. And I learned that as a, as a way of thinking, as a habit in life and, and a mindset and a brain, a brain pattern. So that project that everybody said wouldn't work, it's made $5 million. It's going into its 19th year. It worked from day one and it's worked ever since. But I might have convinced myself out of trying because a whole bunch of people said to me, that sounds too weird. That won't work. People won't buy photographs taken by poor homeless drug addicts. And I was like, well, I think Vancouverites will. I think they'll think that's fresh and that they, here's my 20 bucks. I want to help people that live in poverty. It was really easy. It was really simple. And I was right. And if you don't go into action, you never actually have the evidence of your own data. You never get the data based on your own theories. And so every day I am constantly testing my theories and most of the time they work. That is an amazing story. I love that. There's a quote that says action is the mother of all success or something like that. And most people, they don't, well, people don't understand you. They're not going to know your vision. They're not going to know your heart. They're not going to know your inspiration or your reasoning. It's, it's your thing to try. Right. And we all get our unique things to try. And what happens is we immediately want that validation from someone who doesn't get it the same way. I heard a story that I've been bringing up recently about a person who quit their job and they started to do art with butter, like butter sculptures, which is ridiculous. 
and it was they were really successful. Who would, yeah, who would who would think of that? You know, it's so ridiculous. And I'm sure you know, um, you know, people are like that's not going to work. And um, I was actually telling the guys a story. We have a donut place down the street from where I am, and my my partner loves donuts, so I get her some donuts. And the guys from uh, I can't remember where exactly, one of them, like uh, the Russian countries, or but he was in communism. And uh, we were talking about what was going on. So he knew exactly what was going on. You know, him and Toto, we had a great discussion in the, in the shop. Everybody takes their masks off, except for him, because he was running the business and didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and so we all have a great impromptu discussion. And I'm telling the story to one of my buddies. And he goes, can you imagine how ridiculous his friends would have thought him? He was back in like Poland or Russian or wherever he was. He's like, I'm going to immigrate to Canada and start a successful donut shop. Like, you know, it, like this custom fresh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, like fancy baking donut shop, but he did. And so, you know, you just imagine like what is possible for one is, is not the same for another. It's not their inspiration. It doesn't, it doesn't come from them. It comes from you. And even if you fail, that's okay because you learn you're testing your theory. There's massive value in that it is a part of that it doesn't make you a failure it made you try something and you learned and that's the whole point of life is to try stuff my daughter has markers right now and she keeps trying to marker on everything she's experimenting it's pissing me off because i don't want her to mark it on everything but i understand what she's doing she's like well what about here what about here what about here she gets feedback and she learns and grows and that's what we need as humans and we stop growing when we stop testing and we yeah, and also the, the, the power of humanity itself, right? Like I study this a lot because of human rights, but most people are good people. Most people want justice. Most people aren't going to harm their neighbor or steal or litter or break stuff, right? Most people will behave in a way to create healthy, wonderful societies. And that's the message. That's why we know the government is running an organized crime because they're not telling us all the good stuff to help us. They're not telling us these secrets, right? Like eat vegetables and sleep, not saying anything like that. They opened the liquor stores for four hours more a day when they put the lockdowns in place in BC. They made the opening hours 7 a.m. and the closing hours 11 p.m. They gave four more hours of liquor sales and alcohol. And our public health officer knows this. And Teresa Tam talks about this. Alcohol is the leading cause of cancer in Canada. It's bad for you. And they know that. So they intentionally did something that could harm us rather than everybody exercise, everybody buy exercise equipment for your houses, everybody make sure you stock up on organic vegetables. They didn't tell us anything to serve humanity. They told us the things that would harm us. And so I have great compassion for, for people in humanity. I've seen humanity rise up and, and help each other and do unbelievable things under very difficult circumstances. And that's another tool for us that exists in every single person. That, that wellspring of justice and love and compassion exists in every person. This is one of the negative things about social media because you get on there and it's like all this vitriolic hate crap and someone will say something to you. I get a lot of hate and violent messages. They'll say this to me and I know that it, there's a disconnect because that person is mostly a good person. They would never say to me in my to my face, like in front of my children at a grocery store or something, what they feel they have the liberty to say online because it's that it's that weird anonymous way of communicating. And so that's another tool, I guess, get outside, get into real life surrounded by people because most people will behave kindly and compassionately and help one another. It's a rare person who truly is 
evil and out to hurt us. You know, they might not be very ethical or whatever. Maybe they've got some problems or they're they're shoplifting or something. But most most people, that's what was so wonderful about humanity. Most people have good souls and they have love in their hearts and they want they want all the good stuff that we want. So it's a matter of of igniting that, you know, harnessing that and igniting that for change and for positiveness. I absolutely love that. And and with the liquor story, simultaneously, they close all the gyms. So now, like, I haven't been able to go to the gym in Ontario since, uh, like, December or something. There's only, like, 10 people allowed on the floor right now. Now we're going to go into this other lockdown. It makes no sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I yeah. love the point you brought yeah. about social media. Curate your social media. Uh, be ruthless about your social media because uh, it's not as bad as these, you know, people want to make you think that's the only thing that's promoted. Everything good is deleted. They attack anybody sharing the truth, uh, delete it, shadow ban it, bury it. Um, so it's hard to find. So telegram is a great uh, thing right now because you can get, that's the only one I use because they're in now a little bit of Instagram, um, but people are reasonable over there, it seems. And um, it's less hacked. So if we lose telegram, we'll lose that form of communication until another one pops up that and another one will pop up and another one will pop out, right? The truth and connection will always find a way. And it's such an important thing to think of that you're staring at this screen of illusion. You don't know what's real. You don't even really know what's real almost in reality like you do, but you're perceiving, you know, reality is a funky thing. So the chances of like someone accosting you in public, you know, actually in California might be more likely, but stay off of there, get into nature, get into community communities, um, you know, focus on solutions, spend more mental effort on solutions and community than you do staring at like the burning fire, right? Or the crashed car that seems to be happening. And that's what they want. You looped into this perpetual nonsense. So you're not building and finding solutions and that's what's required and it's going to feel better. So um, those are all fantastic points. I'd love to talk to you all day. I know you're a very busy woman, so is there anything that you would like to discuss before we end this conversation? Oh God. Well, let's, let's not, let's just keep having conversations. Well, I've been holding this thing cause I want to talk about it. Um, so I'll somehow use it as an example. So this is um, cedar, British Columbia cedar, it's wood, right? And it was made by a carver. I don't know if he was, where was he? Um, he might've been Métis, might've been from the prairies. And I use this as an example to, and I take this place as I tell people about it. It's just a, a symbol. It's like a carving, but I, it's a letter opener. I had him make it for me to open letters because I like having letter openers. And I wanted to go to the store and buy a letter opener, like staples or something. And I literally was getting in my car <clears throat> because I lost my letter opener and I'll just buy something that was made in China and staples, the company was selling it. It's nothing that I really believe in, right? And I see this guy sitting at the side on the sidewalk outside Staples and he's carving, he's a carver and he's whittling away and he's making these beautiful things. And I went over and I said, can you make one edge sharp so it can open letters for me? And he said, yes, come back tomorrow. And so I gave him 20 bucks. And I said, yeah, and paint, I want it black and white because he was doing all these colors. And literally there it is. I will have this thing forever. I love it so much. And I use it as an example. I show it to people, the power of working in community with other people and doing something positive. I could have chosen that big system and walked into Staples and got a, the perfect thing right away. But I chose to do something that was better for him, for me, for the environment. My children know about cedar wood now. They touch this all the time. And these opportunities are around us 
everywhere. You just got to keep your eyes open. You know, look for the organic bakery, look for the carver, look for the things that if you think about, you think that's going to create a better world if I engage with that. Um, and the more we do it, and the more we do it in every community and every state and every country, we will build that world. We won't have more staples. We'll have more indigenous carvers who are teaching children about sustainable forestry. It's really that simple. And you think, oh God, I've got to go solve the world's problems. I have to solve forestry in Canada. It's such a big, huge problem. No, you don't. Just buy something for 20 bucks from a carver. Like it's, it's accessible. <laughs> it's immediate. And people need that as a tool. They need the little, like you were saying, what can I do today? That's probably the main question that people ask me. And hundreds of people ask me questions a week. The, the most common question always is, tell me something that I can do today. Because people are desperate. They're really unhappy. They're anxiety. They've got anxiety. They're desperate. And they need just a little thing that they can focus on for 15 minutes or two hours and do it and finish it and go, wow, you know what? I just did it. And then it's that action thing again. So these little opportunities, the carver sitting at the side of the road are everywhere around us. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's a brilliant example. And it, it brings home the point of, of being active in your community. And one of the teachings I love from David Lone Bear, which is do three kind acts a day, go out of your way to do it and don't tell anyone. And so you're just engaging with the people you're around. Go to the farmer's market, figure out where your food comes from, um, support your local business. Yeah, it might cost a little bit more, but you're supporting them. You know what I mean? Always make those choices when you can, rather than just looking for that easy way out, you know, shop in Walmart. Like if you absolutely have to, then I guess, but um, you know, there's nine times out of 10, another solution that's more supportive, more cooperative and more cohesive. And, and I feel like your life will even be better, you know, from doing those things, looking oh, for those opportunities. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, you have to do that for yourself. Like when I go into stores now and I, I've always mostly done this, but I should have tried to do it more. I guess it sometimes the first person I see a staff member, I go up to them and say, hi, I would like to introduce myself. Am I welcome to shop in your store? I would like to spend money here. I don't wear the mask for respiratory reasons. Every single person says, of course, you're welcome. Like it's that humanity. It's a, it's a really powerful tool. You kind of like disable the, the aggression and the adversarialness out of somebody by using compassion. And that's probably our biggest tool. I don't know if you agree is, is compassion, compassion to others above all. It is such a, it's, it's such a, um, it's such an aggregate, you know, it brings everybody together and it's free. It's easy. <laughs> it doesn't um, take much time. It's fast. There's always a moment to be compassionate towards someone. And that is like, that's like, um, I don't know what the example would be. It's like, it's like fire. It spreads like fire. Somebody watches somebody else being compassionate. It, it ignites hope in them. And they just think, wow, I just saw a wonderful act of humanity. And that's where we need to be focused is living that life to give ourselves more joy and fairness and equality and justice because it spreads and it spreads to others. I'm teaching my children that, that now. I've been invited to go to big events all around the province. People want to hear me talk about that message. It's a, it's a nice, easy, warm message, the message of compassion. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of my time in Nepal studying with these Buddhist monks and I'd always ask them challenging questions and they would think about it. And then they would always come back to, well, if that happened, right, if somebody accosted me in a store and started shouting at me, my job would be to show them kindness and compassion, right? And so from a 
man perspective because that's the one i understand but if somebody accosts me which happens immediately like i go to anger and like i'm gonna you know it's now competition and uh we're gonna go toe to toe but training in martial arts and all those other things it i know that that's not the right way that there is a better way right you know if if that's what you do at the time then if someone's attacking you then you you do what you do but with training the master is going to be able to run away you know what i mean one of my buddies would say when i was training martial arts in in my younger years i think i was threatening him threatening him and just messing around he goes well he's like i can run faster scared than you can mad and i just thought that was so hilarious and you know so so the next time I were to get accosted in the store, I just thought about funny ways, you know, for me to just calm myself down because that's going to be a better scenario. You know what I mean? That's a better outcome. And so when you bring the humanity back to it, pe- people are human in there. And I, and I hope that there's someone from California listening with a, a solid constitution to see if they can go try this there, because that is like the most challenging place with like just people throwing cans at you. It's just, it's just nuts there. So we'll see if it works. And I do believe that we, we do influence our reality to a great deal. And so since I entered the stores more peacefully and I'll say a prayer before I go in and I'll even call in, um, you know, some guardian angels and Elohim and things like that now, cause I'll just go straight, uh, esoteric with it because why not? It's, it's the end of times or something's going on here and it's been a lot more peaceful. And I smile at, you know, the children when I see them, you know what I mean? And unfortunately, some of them look afraid, you know, one wow. in five, but, but most of them are okay. But about one in five, they look afraid when they see someone without a mask. Yeah. And I'm like, that's terrible. And those are the big wins that we have to focus on and why I feel so positive about the future, despite the short-term tyranny. The big wins, you know, are the kindness and the fairness and access to opportunity. You look at the best, healthiest, longest living, most prosperous societies, and they could be indigenous people down in Ecuador, or they could be um, you know, very wealthy people in Japan or something. You, you look at those societies and you study them as models. And those, are, those societies are the ones that have the least amount of rules and laws over people. It's like South Dakota. She, Christy Noam, the governor there, she says, I govern from a sense that people generally will take care of themselves. And so we have very little law and we allow the people to just get on with their lives and we govern in a small way so they can take care of themselves. And again, 99% of the people will take care of themselves. They'll clean up their house, they'll raise their children properly. The less you can, less rules, the less laws, um, the more abundance uh, people will be allowed to have. And that, that's why the tyranny and the emergency orders and everything we're experiencing in Canada and all these provinces is such a hallmark of the corruption because they're actually doing the opposite to what is done in, in healthy success and healthy. And I say healthy, physically healthy, physically healthy societies do not have authoritarian rule. They have the opposite. It's the people, authoritarian regimes. And I know because I lived in one when my husband was kidnapped, very little health very short-term lives, young, young people die at a young age, low education, more aggression, more violence, because that, that proportional relationship of dictatorship and loss of health. The, the, the smaller the government, the bigger the health. The bigger the government, the lower the health and wealth. And those are you can see those statistics all over the world for the last 100 years. 
Yeah, 100%. And that's really the root of what's going on here. This this government is usurping the creator's rights. You know what I mean? Our God-given inalienable rights um, from our creator to live freely and yeah. try to tell us what we can and cannot do. I, you are not my authority. You know, my government is not my God. And I think it says in the, in the Bible, you can't serve two masters. So you can't serve the government and stay plugged into the matrix system that's causing harm through your participation and participate in something else simultaneously. You need to choose, are you on the side of the creator or the side of the government? Because the government in the, in the way that it'll function is going to look for more power and more control because that's kind of how it's designed. And it reminds me of uh, an egregor. Um, somebody saying I was pronouncing that wrong. I don't know. You know what an egregor is? Egregor? Yeah. Hey, you want to come say hi? Oh, sure. She's yeah, hey. she's, she likes to design the shirts with me. She's wearing a shirt. Oh, Sorry, I, nice. just thought, I thought it might be fun. I'm always open to things happen spontaneously. Yeah, no, that's all right. Yeah, she could pop in if she wants. Well, this, I and this is my kids in the videos, but they're starting to come out of the room. I've asked them to sit in. My husband's even coming out too. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, well, like maybe we can have um, another conversation another time. I'm about to do a series of interviews for my podcast course. And maybe I can reach out and schedule something with you because there's so many questions I would love to ask you. You know, you're a beacon of light and positivity. And um, I'm going to study what you've built and what you're doing in your brand and all your channels. So thank you for having me. I'm very grateful to be a part of this today. Oh, my pleasure. This has been awesome. I'm happy to help you start a podcast and support you in any way because we need more positive messages um, going out there. So we'll definitely stay in touch. Keep up the amazing work. I appreciate this and uh, just enjoy the rest of the day with your family. Okay. You don't want to say hi, Mike? Oh, where can people find more about you? you okay. Yeah. So this is, this is my problem <laughs> that I, I'm needing some mentorship from, from someone like you is my reach. <laughs> I've got my content, my story. I'm good with all that. They, at the moment, they can find me on Instagram at health and justice. I do videos there. My YouTube channel is my personal name, Susan Stanfield. I have a lot of videos there from a few years ago, but now my daily videos are up there. I will be back on Facebook in a couple of days with a, a toned down message because the, the reach on Facebook is great. I don't want to not be there. It's a lot. There's a lot of women there, a lot of moms oh, I there. I can't and believe you're still going there. That's good. Well, it, it serves its purpose. It's a great way for me to market my shirts, the software and the, all that stuff. You can't beat it on Facebook. Um, and then my husband is helping me build a kind of a super website, I guess, sort of what like what you have to slave everything through, through a health justice website over the next three to six months that will be built. Amazing. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I tell people to go check out your, your stuff and get a shirt. If you're in Canada or around the world, why not? Um, it's the best shirt you can get right now. You know, if it's all political, just wear something political. There's lots of uh, amazing slogans over there that I'd be happy to rock. So um, okay, yeah. I, well, I, will, I will send you one. I always send one to people as a thank you who have, you know, interviewed me or done something. So there's, um, there's a couple that are particularly you might be interested in. You could, you can pick it, you can send me something or I can just pop something in the mail for you. I like the moral courage one because at the moment, um, maybe that one, faith over fear. Yeah, I mean, actually, no, it's moral, moral courage. And, uh, you know, I, I just love that idea. And faith over fear is, is something I've done videos on, right? And, oh, wow. and I feel like well, it's so important. Yeah, you know, that's what that's what we need. You know, faith faith in the creator, in, in the goodness in humanity. And I'm working on this little 
thing I'm going to write, you know, sometimes I get the blur. I used to write on Instagram all the time. Then I got deleted and it pissed me off. So I'm writing there less because a lot of work that they deleted. Um, but it's just like the idea behind the fear is the person behind that manipulation and hijacking is, is like a child is a mother is a brother is a sister is a human being. And so that's that compassion piece again, you know what I mean? And so maybe I'm upset because they're attacking me deliberately. Um, but in public, it's very rare. I've only been accosted one time. That's it, you know, in months of this. And so, um, but I know some parts, parts of the States it's even more crazy, but you know, go test it out. So stay in peace, stay within honor yourself, but connecting to that faith of like, we are a part of creation and the creator. And we have the divine spark within us, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it, that can't be taken from you. You can only willingly give it away. So do not take this friggin' needle that they're trying to offer you because it's consent, um, consent based. You have to consent to this stuff. So start educating yourself, uh, be that beacon, cooperate with your community. And you're going to find other people who are so willing to cooperate, you know, 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people working together. We don't need a lot of people cooperating to do big things. And then we're like, you know what? This cooperation bubble, we're fine over here. It's great over here. You guys can go ahead and do whatever you want. This is okay. And people are going to see that and gravitate toward, toward it like a magnetic field. And, and those who don't want to participate are free to go and, and go about their business however they see fit. Yeah, and like back to the beginning, if I if it's true that I was the first person to ignite this March movement, let's say it was for argument's sake, there was 19 of us. That was it. I had $7 worth of dollar store signs. We had nothing. And those other 18 people were the most fringy, right? The yellow vests, whatever. They weren't powerful mainstream kind of people. That's what we started with. And that's the power of, of justice and humanity. People know what is good and they will go to it and they will share it. So again, thank you for having me. I look forward to more conversations in the future. Sounds good. Well, have an amazing day. Check out her website, get yourself a shirt because they're all awesome. And uh, just thank you guys for watching. We'll stay in touch and we'll build some beautiful, magnificent solutions in Canada, Australia and around the world together. Yeah, awesome. Okay, take okay. care, Matt. Thank you. Peace, bye. bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely phenomenal Susan Stanfield. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please share it as far and as wide as you can. Facebook Messenger, uh, you know, Instagram with the with the banning and the shadow banning and the censorship. It's so hard to get the information out. So um, anything you can do to promote the show would be amazing. I definitely invite you to become a member. You can do so for free or by donation. Uh, it's the best way to stay in touch if everything else goes down. I'm posting a lot on Telegram right now. Also, also I'm over on Odyssey and over on Rockfin. If you go to Rockfin forward slash Matt Belair, that's a great platform as well. So you can support me there. And if you become a uh, premium member to Rockfin, you get all the premium shows. So not just my show, but uh, Sam Tripoli is over there. A lot of people over there doing some amazing work over on Rockfin too. So it's a new uh, platform that's kind of exploding. Uh, so that's great. There are other options coming up. Um, for those of you guys who want to work one-on-one -on -one and you really want to get very clear on who you are and you want to design and architect your life deliberately from your heart, from your soul, from who you truly are, and learn all the tools, skills, strategies, support, and accountability 
to make it happen. Um, if you're interested in doing that and ready to, to do the work, hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. I'd love to work with you and help you build whatever you can, are, are imagining in your heart and in your soul. And if you don't know what that is, um, it's not going to take us very long to figure that out by going through the soul compass, uh, the quantum heart hypnosis, and some of the other tools and strategies. Um, the challenge comes in the perseverance to build it. But once you lock onto that vision, that heart inspired vision, you know, it's yours to create and uh, you're willing to, you know, do whatever it takes, you know, five years, 10 years or a whole lifetime to build it because it's truly who you are. So if you're interested in that, go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. Feel free to ask me any questions, but would love to work with you. And that's it. Um, Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we end today's episode. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, courage, inspiration, and ready to enjoy the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.